Bibles with you, you want to turn there. I'm going to be taking some Scripture out of the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 24. And there's a verse contained in the 24th chapter of uh, the Gospel according to Matthew that I quote a lot. I've quoted it a lot uh, in my preaching. I've quoted it a lot in my witnessing to people and things like that. It's the 13th verse. In the 13th verse, I'll read it to begin. It says, But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. And the key word in that entire phrase is to endure. And the thing is, when you hear the word endure, that doesn't, uh, doesn't bring as though it's going to be easy or it shouldn't. If it does, you misunderstand the word endure. Uh, that when I was much younger than I am now, I was an endurance runner. I liked to run, and I could run for lengthy periods of time with really out ever seeming like I got all that tired. Uh, uh, but as I got older and as life set in and everything, and I got less in shape, that endurance has kind of left me. And the thing is, as a Christian, we have to endure. We have to be able to get through the easy times and the difficult times. And sometimes the difficult times draw us closer to God and the easy times draw us away. But both are a form of endurance. And what uh, Jesus was talking about here though is He was saying there's going to be tough times ahead. That He looked at His own disciples and He said in the world you're going to have tribulation. That there's going to be every reason to walk away. There's going to be every logical reason to quit at some point. That at some point quitting will be easy. And I always, when I counsel young people before that I'll perform their ceremony, I always tell them at some point during your marriage, it's going to be easier to walk away than it is to stay. And at some point during your salvation, it's going to be easier to walk away than it is to hang on. But Jesus says the ones that hang on, the ones that endure until the end, they shall be saved. And if you back up just a few verses, and I've got one of these rainbow Bibles, and anything that's in brown uh, represents sin. And you find that there's a lot of brown uh, in the verses coming before that and a lot coming after it. Because Jesus begins to talk about uh, when the end times come. And I can tell you, uh, uh, having studied it from the Pentecostal point of view, having studied it from the free will Baptist uh, and every other perspective that I can gain, uh, essentially the solution is this. If you hold on to Jesus Christ with every fiber of your being, if you hold His Word in your heart and you don't let anything dislodge it, that doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect run. That doesn't mean that when you get through, Jesus is going to look around and say, well, I didn't even need to die for you. But what it does mean is that if you endure until the end, you're going to be saved. Not maybe, not might be, but this Word says shall be. Not could be, or ought to be, but shall be. And when you read the Word of God, and you really study it like you ought as a Christian, you'll dig out these promises. And whenever Satan comes along and says, Oh no, you're not going to make it. You can say, I'm enduring until the end. And I have a promise that I can stand on. Because I can tell you some of the best lies that the devil has ever come and told people uh, is they're not going to make it or they never made it to begin with uh, or that they messed up and went too far one way or the other and they can't get back. And I tell you that is nothing but a lie out of hell. 
I can tell you, sin should never be the Christian's friend. Sin should never be easily come upon by the Christian or readily engaged in. But even if it is, now I tell you, a lot of times I've heard preachers essentially tell people, if you willfully sin as a Christian, that's it. You're done. They serve a different God than I do. Because the God I serve, uh, uh, He's patient with me. Uh, He knows that I'm not perfect. Uh, When Jesus Christ earlier in this same book uh, preached in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, He began to talk about how easy it was uh, to fall into sin. And what He was saying was, You need a Savior. Without a Savior, you won't make it. How do you endure until the end? Uh, uh, But you have to hang on to Him. Uh, But what I want you to notice, uh, if you back up to verse 4, Jesus begins to tell them, uh, you got to be careful. He says in verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 3 says, Because for many shall come in my name, saying, I'm in Christ, and shall deceive many. The only way that anybody is ever deceived is when they don't know the truth. I remember many years ago talking with somebody that worked in the banking industry. And them talking about, because I asked them about counterfeit money. I asked them, I said, do you ever encounter any counterfeit money? She said, a couple of times, yes. I said, really? And I asked her, I said, how did you know it was counterfeit? And she said, because it didn't look like the real thing. Amen. And that's what they teach them. They don't teach them what counterfeit looks like. They teach them what the genuine article looks like. And that way, when something comes along that's not the genuine article, you know right away. I thought, well, they'd have to always be up on the new methods and the new things that they're doing. They said, no. You just know what the real thing is. And Jesus, when He's talking here and telling them about this, He's saying, there's going to be people that are going to come posing as Me. And He said, if you are not studied up, not prayed up, not ready to endure, then you're going to be deceived. And it's actually quite easy because these deceptions are things that you want to believe. The same as any time that anybody goes to a psychic or anybody stands up claiming to be a modern day prophet and they'll begin to talk. They only vomit sunshine on people. They never tell them, look, next week your kid's going to die in a car accident and you're going to suffer greatly because of this. But they'll tell them, oh, your next true love is just right around the corner. Oh, you're going to find financial prosperity and all this garbage. Uh, I can tell you uh, that sometimes God will give us a glimpse of the future uh, so we can avoid it. And Jesus, what He's doing here is He's telling them about what's going to happen ahead of time so that when they look around, they won't be surprised. Because the thing is, difficult days are coming. Difficult days are here. Every one of us have had difficult days probably in the last year. Days when we look around and say, God, I wish you'd quit tarrying your coming and just come on back because I'm done with this world. I can't take this anymore. You can't even go out to the grocery store without mummifying yourself and, and, and hollering unclean to anybody that comes near you. I don't like it anymore. But see, we don't get that choice. What we get to choose is to endure Or to not endure. To trust and obey. Or to stop trusting and fall away. Because he goes on and he said, You shall hear, in verse 6, You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Shall nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. <laughs> Notice in verse 11 what he says here. We're going to skip down to it. It says, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I believe that in a lot of ways, it's harder to be a Christian than it's ever been. Now somebody may stand up and indignantly say, well, what about all the martyrs from yesteryear? Yes, that was certainly a difficult time for them. But in this day and time, it is too easy to look and act like a Christian and not actually be one. It is Far too easy to run around and have uh, the gospel only according to the Beatles where all you need is just love and that's it. You just love everybody and love everything and everything's good. But I tell you that the Bible tells us we're to hate sin. We're to stand against it uh, knowing that it's not right because Satan has all kinds of counterfeit things that he trots out. Young people nowadays, they equate lust to love. Lust is Satan's cheap knockoff of love. The Apostle Paul said it best when he said that love, it doesn't rejoice in evil. And it's patient and kind. It's long-suffering. That all of these things about love, what it means is that it's an act of will. And I always tell young couples that whenever I'm counseling them. I tell them, look, uh, uh, yeah, it might feel good at some point. But at a certain point, love comes down to an act of will where you say, I'm going to hang on and I'm not letting go. I don't care what happens, even if it destroys me. And you may say, oh, Brother Jeremiah, that sounds like a pretty cruddy view of love. Tell it to Jesus Christ because His love for us caused Him to bear the unspeakable, caused Him to be beaten, caused His face to be torn up, them to rip out hands full of His beard, to spit in His face, to laugh at Him, to hang Him naked on a cross in front of everybody. His love held Him to that cross. Could we do at least some semblance of that when it comes to our love and to hang on? You see, because Jesus, because of His endurance, enduring the cross, he secured our salvation. Then he goes on, and I want to skip ahead to about verse 23. It says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Here's the thing. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how well-read that you are. There's always somebody that's smarter and more well-read that can deceive you. They can confound you. But I'll tell you this, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You may say, oh, Brother Jeremiah, I'll study my Bible diligently and nobody will be able to deceive me. Let me tell you, that is definitely a step in the right direction. But I tell you this, if the Holy Spirit is not your close friend, then you may still yet be deceived. You'll notice that Satan, when he came and tempted Christ, said he brought him up to the pinnacle of the temple. He told him, he said, go ahead and just throw yourself off of there. 
Because it is written that He shall give His angels charge over thee, that they shall bear thee up, lest thou at any time dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus looked at him and He said, It is written. Now Satan had quoted the Bible. He quoted from the 91st Psalm. The Word of God. That's right. Satan knows the Word of God and he'll quote it and he'll use it to confuse you. But Jesus answered with a more rightly divided version of the Word of God. That's why the Apostle Paul said it. (laughs) To study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And he looked at him and he said, It is written that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, and neither put him to the test. Let me tell you, if you get a word from God, if I was to get a word from God today that said, Jeremiah, you're not going to die until you're 45 years old, that would give me a little less than five years right now to survive, I'd still look both ways before I cross the street. I'd still use my signal. I'd still try to take care of myself a little bit. I don't want to put God's Word to the test. I know that when God decides it's my time, that that's the right time, regardless of what I think. But I want to endure until that end. And if you don't want to be deceived, you better study the Word of God. You better get accustomed to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because the big thing that Jesus said in John chapter 14 is He said the Holy Spirit will lead you Into all truth. You know what that means? That means if I get in this pulpit and I preach unsound doctrine, the Holy Spirit will be right back there telling on me. And I pray to God that He does. I don't want to tell you something that's wrong. And Lord knows I've made some mistakes in the last 11 years during some of my sermons. But I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit has brought it up to my mind. Some of you have been kind enough to speak to me about it. But whatever that it is, we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. At the very least, so we don't get deceived. As a writer of tests for my students, and that's one of the classes you have to take when you're becoming a teacher, is you have to learn how to write questions for a test. You think, well, that's no big deal. Well... It can be if you make it too confusing. And I'm one that I always hated trick questions on tests, and I've always been the one to try not to do that. Here's the thing. The testing that you endure, there's that word again, Satan's trying to trick you. He's trying to fool you. He's trotting out counterfeit and saying, no, no, this is okay. These things are all right. You can go ahead and do this. It's okay because, well, it's based in love. Let me tell you this. The world's version of love is insulting to anybody who really, truly knows love. Like between parents and children. You know, that's one of the things in verse uh, 12 it, it talks about. It says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I can tell you, all you have to do is look around and see parents that are having children and they don't want them. That right there is the love of many waxing cold. It's easy to love your children, or at least it was for me, and it should be easy for anybody to love their children, but in this day and time, you can't even count on that. Is it a time of endurance? Oh yes, absolutely. And all of this Scripture here in in Matthew chapter 24, and I believe it's recorded once again in Luke 21, And there are similar things in the book of Daniel. There are similar things in the Revelation. 
that people that get so worried and so hung up about these end times. This word is not here to trouble you as a Christian, but rather it is here so that when the time comes, you'll look around and say, God predicted this. God warned me. Because you'll notice in verse 25, Jesus says, Behold, I have told you before. I told you about it before it was going to happen now, didn't I? And you see, it's just like when somebody gives you directions to go somewhere. And they'll tell you, now when you see this, you've gone too far to run and go back. I can tell you, I, you know, GPS is a wonderful thing, but it'll lead you wrong sometimes too. I think Brother Larry and I both made the same mistake there a week or so ago going to his niece and my cousin's wedding. And the GPS showed where to turn and I turned. It turned me into a little trailer court. The road was literally 10 feet further. It's easy. It's easy to make a wrong turn. Fortunately, Brother Larry didn't come upon me sitting there uh, flat on my hind end in the middle of the road crying and kicking gravels and things like that and just saying, well, I can't get there now. I messed up. I made a mistake. Made a wrong turn. So this is it for me. I guess I live here now. No, that's ridiculous. But yet when people sin, they do similar things. The devil's like, oh yeah, you went too far. You can't come back now. You done messed up. That is a lie out of hell. And a lot of times the reason that people fall victim to that lie is because they don't know the Word of God. They don't know the word that says, I believe it's in 1 John 1, 9, where it says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That means that not when, or not if, but when we sin, we can get forgiven. But also, if it's something that gets you every time, rather than running to it, put up a guardrail, lock a door. You know, one of the things Dad told me growing up, and I, I thought it was kind of silly, uh, kind of a cliche when he said, he'd say, son, a lock is not to keep a thief out. It's to keep an honest man honest. And I thought, well, no, you know, it'll, it'll stop a thief. No, if they're really determined, they'll break a lock. They'll figure out any way they can to get in. But a lot of times, it'll keep somebody who otherwise the temptation would be too great. Stop me if you've heard this. Sometimes the temptation is too great. The only time in the Word of God we're told to flee is from temptation. It says, resist, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But you're to flee from temptation. When temptation comes along, to get away from it. And I've heard people say, Brother Jeremiah, that's kind of a hard doctrine. You know, give up these things, not go around this stuff, do these things and all this. First of all, an alcoholic should never go to the bars and try to preach to drunks. First of all, you never want to go to a bar and try to preach to anybody because they're not there for it and they're not going to hear you. I personally could do it because alcohol in any form has always been repugnant to me. But you won't see me down there because of the very appearance of evil. But the thing is, is that the doctrine that I'm talking about, you ought to hear what Jesus said about it. He said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Or if your hand offends you, cut it off. That's, that's pretty, pretty severe doctrine. But essentially what he's saying is he's saying if it's something that will cause you to falter and go back on the Lord, get rid of it. He said because it's better to go through the rest of your life less than whole, halt and maimed as the King James English puts it, and to enter into heaven than to be a whole body and be thrown into hell.
Yeah, that's a hard doctrine. But remember, he that endureth until the end, the same shall be saved. And those that are willing to endure, they put forth the effort that is required. I can tell you, if you want to run a 5K, you don't start out by never exercising. You can try it. I'm pretty sure it won't end well for you. That's the same as this. If you want to endure until the end, you have to prepare. You have to get ready for whatever may lay ahead. And you may say, Brother Jeremiah, what if this or that happens? God has a plan. But what if I lose everything? Ask Job. He lost everything. Or at least was led to believe he lost everything. You know how you look at it, but here's the thing. He trusted God. God brought him back. Does that mean that following God will never get you in trouble? <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. But what it does mean is that when He gets you in trouble, He'll also get you out of it. I've had friends that always helped me get in trouble. Usually when the trouble found us, they'd run one way and I'd run the other way and I'd hope they were going after Him and He'd hope they were going after me. But you see, if you're following the Lord and you end up in trouble, He's going to be right there with you. If you don't believe me, ask Daniel. They passed the law. said Daniel couldn't pray. It was a law designed with Daniel in mind. You mean, Brother Jeremiah, that people will single you? Oh yeah, you have an enemy. Daniel, he prayed to God during that time. And I, and I always wondered why it was that a lot of ministers were always very careful about how they phrased this. You know, I always grew up saying, a lion's den. Everybody said, no, no, no. It's a den of lions. I understand that. Now, a lion's den implies there's probably only one lion. A den of lions means there's several. And they throw Daniel into that lion's den. Now, here's how my prayer probably would have went. Oh, God, please don't let him throw me into that lion's den. Oh, God, if there's any way. Lord, should I run out of the city? What route should I take? How should I disguise myself best to get away? Lord, please don't let me go through this. And you, we've prayed this prayer. I guarantee everybody here has prayed that prayer at one time or another. When you've had a dread on you, something bad was going to happen, and you said, Lord, please don't let this happen to me. Please don't let my loved one die. Please don't let uh, me lose all this money. Please don't let me lose my job. But Daniel, you know, I, I can't say what he did or didn't pray, but based on the way he was before, and he was an older fellow when this happened, I imagine he said, Lord, you've got the power over life and death. This ain't the first time my life has been in peril. And God, whatever you decide, I'm good with. If I go in there and become food for lions, I'll open my eyes next to you. Or if you spare me. And you see, the thing was, Daniel went into that den of lions. And he was in there throughout the night and said that the king walked the floor sleepless that night. And my vivid imagination conjures an image of Daniel using a lion as a pillow that night. Maybe one of them huddled up next to him to keep him warm in that dank, dark area and slept like a baby. Said when the king drew near the next morning, said he wouldn't even look in there, didn't want to see Daniel just splattered all over the place and what was left of him. He asked him, he said, Daniel, was your God whom you diligently serve able to save you? Daniel said, yep. That's my paraphrase. Yeah, he did. 
I'm still alive. I'm still here. The lions were alive and so was Daniel. Daniel was willing to endure. He went. He didn't avoid the lion's den. He went through it. And sometimes when you follow God, it's going to land you in a den of lions. And he'll take care of you in there. And I'll leave you with this as I'm getting ready to hush. There was a uh, gentleman locally died a few weeks ago from COVID-19. Uh, I didn't know him personally, but a lot of the people I worked with and people I've come to know from teaching in the Westmoreland area did. His name was Randy Short. Uh, I believe he was 52 years old, if I remember right. And I'd see the updates his wife posted on there. And no matter how bleak or dark that it was, and there were several times she posted on there, and I thought, this gentleman is not long for this world based on what, I, what little bit I know. She was talking about they had him on a vent, and his blood pressure would either get too high and they'd have to bring it down, and then it would get too low. And I mean, it was just, it was a roller coaster. She would always say, praise God, in her post. Praise the Lord. I know he's, I know he's in the mix. I know that it's in his hands. And then I seen the message that, of course, everybody was dreading that he had passed away. That his body had succumbed to the complications and everything, and he died. And, you know, of course, my heart broke for her. I didn't know the man personally won't feel the loss acutely, but knowing what it's like to lose a loved one, I could definitely sympathize. And then, a few days later, I seen a post. And her post said, he is cured. He's better now. And I thought, did somebody make a mistake? <laughs> Were the rumors of his death highly exaggerated? And then I read the post. And she said, he's with God now. He's better than we are. And she gave the best testimony during that time. I wish I had uh, taken a picture of it. We talked about how that it was that even though this life was over, that she knew he was far better off than he ever could have been. Endured until the end. You know, because right now, and I've said this at funerals before, the first time the Lord gave it to me was at Brother Youngie's funeral, first graveside service I ever did, about the armor having been laid aside, having battle scars on it, difficulty, having shown the signs of endurance, but having made it. And I think about that when I read these scriptures in, in, in you know, Matthew 24. It seems bleak. From just a purely mental standpoint, you would think, my goodness, this is awful. But all that it's telling is that, yeah, it's going to get bad. But those that are in Christ Jesus, they're going to be okay. They're going to make it. And people argue about the book of Revelation and exactly how things are going to transpire or not, what's literal, what's symbolic, if it's amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial, and all of these other millennials. But what I look and see in the book of the Revelation is I see just like the first three chapters of the Bible, the devil's not in the first three chapters of the Bible and he's not in the last three chapters of the Bible. You know, it tells me that he is beaten and that all that we have to do is endure until the very end. Let's all stand, get a song.